ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਫਤਿਹ ਐਂਡ ਵੈਲਕਮ ਅਗੇਨ ਟੂ ਦ ਸੀਕ੍ਰੈਨਾਈਸੈਂਸ 1783 ਐਸ ਵੀ ਐਡਵਰਟਾਈਜ਼ਡ ਵਾਸ ਅ ਮੋਮੈਂਟਸ ਹੀਅਰ ਇਨ ਵਰਲਡ ਹਿਸਟਰੀ ਥੈਟ ਵਾਸ ਪ੍ਰੋਬਬਲੀ ਪੋਸਿਬਲੀ ਦ ਫਰਸਟ ਪੀਰੀਅਡ ਇਨ ਟਾਈਮ ਵੈਨ ਯੂਰਪ ਰਿਅਲਾਈਜ਼ਡ ਥੈਟ ਇਟਸ ਅ ਕਲੋਨੀਅਲ ਪਾਵਰ ਕੁਡ ਐਕਚੁਅਲੀ ਬੀ ਚੈਲੰਜਡ ਐਂਡ ਡਿਫੀਟਡ ਇਨ ਇਟਸ ਵੈਰੀ ਓਨ ਟੈਰੀਟਰੀਜ਼ and the reference here of course is to the american independence which was gained in 1783 now as even you navjit will be aware the man who actually led this revolution has become a symbol of it and that is george washington <clears throat> but if you look closer to home it might be worthwhile here noting that while two historical movements can never be entirely contrasted or compared sometimes there are too many parallels just to arbitrarily dismiss such uh comparisons as being uh westernized you know how they say that you're going off a westernized lens they do yep but the parameters are always arbitrary it's almost like if they know they're losing a debate they will suddenly turn around and say oh no that's westernized lens to shut you down but if you do look at 1783 in 7 by 1783 if you look at the khalsa missiles in the punjab one sardar had up to 60 to 80000 horsemen spreading out from their territories to fight the afghans whatever was left of the moguls sporadic clashes with the french the english and sometimes the few americans who ventured over the yamuna into the punjab and these sardars gathered together early in the year in 1783 and attacked delhi they were led by bagel singh roda sanghia jassa singh alwalia uh jassa singh ramgarhia who was exiled by that period in time he joined them they attacked delhi and at delhi they had a british presence led by James Brown and James Brown reported all these matters to Warren Hastings who was in Bengal at the time that you know the Sikhs the Khalsa from the Punjab has attacked Delhi the Khalsa has a republican government a man named Kapoor Singh established paramedics for their government where uh, they have misaldars who are legislators they have sardars who are senators and they have a jathedar who is a president they meet at the kal takht which is their parliament the harmandir is their constitutional house but amazingly enough there was a similar parallel in the usa wasn't there uh yes and then suddenly in the usa we have washington who actually grasps the moment he has james madison study the history of republics to find out why republics failed how they fail and what can be done to avert these failures and then on the other hand you have the sardars they attack delhi they have enough manpower to make a 13th missile in delhi itself they have the mogul emperor begging them to make him a vessel so they can uh, capture delhi conquer its symbolic significance and spread their republican spread their own republican polity all over india because as the common rule is men who live in republics uh more prone to fighting effectively for their freedoms rather than men who live in uh autocratic empires oh, But, or a monarchy yes yes or a monarchy but then suddenly as warren hastings noted a lack of vision saw the sardars pack up and just leave 
And what happens is in 1783, you have the birth of the United States of America. But here we have the spectacular failure of the Khalsa missiles, which no one could have ever seen coming. And after that, as we know, the Republic was dismantled by Ranjit Singh. And ultimately, everything's reduced to the four winds. How and why are the questions which people are today beginning to ask? Well, they do, but uh, you also have to see a few... Okay. First of all, it's an excellent topic. Yes. And... Uh... The first point I would like to discuss is the absolute failure of the leadership. Mm -hmm. I'm saying absolute failure because they had everything laid at their feet and they chose to walk away. No vision, hmm. no, no vision, no planning. They just went there, built the Gurdwaras and just came back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so if, if, you, if you know a little bit about history or if you have studied history in your school or after school, yep. you will be forced to ask this question that, why did you leave? Mm. You leave Delhi. And if I'm, if I'm not wrong, Delhi was the largest city of the world at that time. Or maybe one of the largest. It was Tem one of the largest and its symbolic significance was more important even though the Mughals were daily... Uh, being forced on the back foot because essentially whoever ruled Delhi, as the saying went, ruled the entire Hindustan. 100% true. And uh, it wasn't just a capital city, it was an established city. There was, there was trade. You could actually expand from Delhi outwards in any direction, east, mm. west, north, south. Mm -hmm. you, you, could, you could have crossed Yamuna and, and went into UP, which few of our Sikhs did. Mm, mm. Or, or you could have just expanded into central India or you could, you could have expanded into Rajputana and whatever yep and if you look at Washington Washington commissioned James Madison who I think served as a later president of the United States to uh, as I mentioned categorize you know the history of republics the science behind establishing a republic and preventing its failure now Madison discovered one thing that, uh, you know, if you look at if you look at any republic worldwide, you'll see that they follow the same course, pretty much same parallel course. So the westernized lens uh, accusation becomes quite arbitrary and it doesn't stick. It's just a last resort cry to prevent their own views from being challenged <laughs> and dismantled. <clears throat> However, there is this thing called, uh, okay, I'll... I'll, I'll since you mentioned westernized view or westernized lens. Yep. Is there a single West? No, there's no single West. <laughs> so, so, so to claim that you're looking at through, through westernized lens is just uh, pure dishonesty. It's, mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's the same thing that you could say that uh, I'm Indian, he's Filipino, and he's white. Okay, what kind of white is he? Is he British? He's Scottish? He's Welsh? He's German? He's French? Irish, what kind of white is it? No, he's, he's, he's just white, but we are Indian, we are Filipino, we are Sri Lankan. And I guess if you look at Europe, it might have had a religious homogeneity, like a similar religious uh, perception during, its, uh, during the establishment of the nation-state model, just like the missiles were all Sikhs, 
But amazingly enough, there were always cultural and social differences between the different uh, European states at the time. Oh, vast differences, vast. Yes. <clears throat> and if you look at it, so what medicine did was that medicine decided to focus entirely on how republics fail. And amazingly enough, at the same time, what the world didn't know was that the Khalsa was undergoing its own similar battle with foreign aggression as Washington and the others were fighting in the USA. So medicine made a list of several points, which I'll uh, reiterate here. So confrontation with an external aggressor, aggressor. Sorry. Now, of course, the missiles were made because they were confronting both Hindu and Islamic uh, hostility. Formation of a coalition against the aggressor on religious slash social lines. Now, this is where Nawab Kapoor Singh came in and he established that coalition, solidifying of the coalition with each and every triumph it achieves. If you look at the Chota Kalukara, the Badda Kalukara, after those Kalukaras, this is what happened. Every triumph the Dal Khalsa, which was the coalition of the missiles, achieved, uh, it sort of solidified itself. Defeat of the foreign aggressor. Now, they defeated the foreign aggressor, but here's where we failed. There was no intellectual awakening among the victors. Now, uh, if you have heard about Sangat Singh, who wrote the Sikhs in History book, yes. which is yeah, which is now accepted as a textbook of Sikh history, even though there are some errors in it, uh, Sangat Singh pointed out that political logic or retrocination was missing among the Sardars, the Sikh Sardars and in Jathedar Jassa Singhalubariya. That was his main character fault. They were not able to grasp the fact that they could solidify themselves and achieve what Banda Singh had achieved was a territorial Sikh nation-state or a Sikh-led nation-state. And this failure ultimately saw them going down the way of other republics mind you only in a few years time the sikhs might have had the shortest uh, short most short-lived republic in world history so no intellectual awakening no birth of confederation and then came the divided loyalties and these loyalties were further exacerbated by the fact that uh, if you look at the fall of the roman republic what happened was that as Rome grew, the gap between the have and have-nots increased, particularly when you had foreign migrants come into the Roman fabric and start twisting the culture to suit their own needs. Yeah, that did happen because uh, after a few centuries, I would say. Yes, after centuries. The original Roman culture that actually founded a civilization was wiped out because now anybody could be a Roman. Yep. And what happened here with the Sardars, if you look at it, we had a whole host, a whole horde of people come into Sikhi who were neither coming out of their uh, own personal conviction, neither were they working for the benefit of the faith. All they converted for was political prominence. So you had Sikhs who were actually following some other religion. Sikhs in appearance, other religions in practice. Well, uh, you raise a very important point here, and uh, I must expand on it. Yes. Uh, a lot of uh, Punjabi tribes, you could say mm. the Jat tribe, the Rajput tribe, and uh, other tribes, they actually converted just to gain land ownership. Mm, mm, mm. Because, because mm. As missiles expanded, they needed to 
give land to their own people to consolidate the rule. That, mm. That's actually how it, this expansion has worked for centuries, for millennia. Mm. You, con- you conquer uh, a new territory and you put your own people there to consolidate your rule. That's how it is. Kush, what did I, who wrote Tuarike Sikha for the East Indian Company, East India Company, he actually wrote a short poem on how uh, all the royals and nobles were forced to, these are his words, quaff the chalice of bitter poison and swallow their own egos, while all the poverty-stricken people became sings to rule over the land. And the practice he forewarned has proliferated to such an extent that there are now Sikhs who are only Sikhs in name, but who have converted to ingratiate themselves into the current ruling structure. Uh, okay, uh, I seem to have forgotten the name of that missile who solely converted to Islam just, just because of a woman. Karora uh, Singhi, I think. This was before Bagheel Singh. Was it before or after? Because it was during, uh, during the same time period, I think. I... Within- Within one or two decades, I think. The name Kuroda Singh emerges from Kuroda Singh, so he's the only one who I can remember who actually did convert to Islam. Some say he was forced, some claim he did it for a woman. Whatever the fact, afterwards they reconverted to Sikhi and then Bagheel Singh was placed in charge of the entire missile. See, amazingly enough, Bagheel Singh was one of those few Sardars who was uh, elected on the same lines as Kapoor Singh had envisioned. He was actually voted in as chief of the missile rather than being declared a successor by a predecessor. Mm. Cool. But these few instances of democracy and republicanism were not enough to cover the fact that as this gap between the have and have nots increased, a new form of Sikhi, which was quite regressive, started growing. Ultimately, at the end, this this would surely have been something spotted by foreign aggressors, wouldn't it? Not just foreign aggressors, because uh, the foreign aggressor might be overt, not not necessarily covert, but there were a lot of internal forces which didn't want it a Sikh republic. Yep. And these stoked the flames of conflict among the missiles themselves. Now, see, the issue with Washington and the others was people can accuse them of quite a lot. But these these were people who were actually, you know, quite steeped in the Renaissance period. They knew they had to step outside the pole of religion and make something for the future. So what, you know, Washington and the others did was they devised a constitution, a written contract. This is how we are going to rule. It can be amended. But this is essentially the essence, the spirit of our republic. The Sardars were never able to do this, even though they had the Guru Granth Sahib as a foremost example of religious unity or philosophical unity. Nonetheless, what happened was that the missiles started battling among each other. And the biggest failure was of Jassa Sangaluwalia in my eyes. He pretty much assumed the same role as Augustus did after Caesar. He became the one-man show not imperial, but semi-imperial in the sense that he started ruling as an autocrat. And after his death, the entire republic collapsed. I would say the republic started collapsing uh, theoretically with Jassa Sengaluwalia, but after his death, it was all finished. Hmm. Ah, sorry about that. Uh, okay. 
Okay, uh, I'd like to raise another point here, and I think yep. that that point must be discussed. Hmm. George Washington was the general of the armies, yeah? Yes. And in the entire human history, he was the first person to give up power voluntarily at his peak. Yes, yes, that's correct. After two terms, he surrendered. No, 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 not just two terms. Yep. When they won the Revolutionary War, and 1783 was just the Treaty of Paris, yeah? Yes. They had already won the war, but then there was an arrangement. They went to Paris, and then uh, the treaty was signed. So the paperwork yep. was signed in 1783. They had already yep. won the war. Hmm. Now, he had the option to, be, to become their king. Because there were quite a lot of people demanding that he become monarch, weren't there? Not quite a lot, a vast majority, because they didn't knew any other kind of government. Mm -hmm. They were loyal to the British crown, and the vast majority of Americans still was loyal to the British crown. Only 3% of Americans fought against the crown, and well, of course the 3% won. <laughs> and, and, yeah. uh, and there were there were large movements of people to Canada, because they were still loyal to crown, and they moved to Canada, yeah? Yes. So George Washington then resigned as the general of the army and went back to his farm at Mount Vernon. Yes. And and he was later called upon, please come back. You you are the person who can unite us and pre prevent mm. an anarchy and disintegration of the 13 colonies. He then mm. came back mm. to become the president. Mm. But what kind of person he was and and I would say he was one of the greatest people to be ever born in the uh, second millennium. See, Washington died in the late 1790s, and one of his biggest disappointments, which I was recently reading about, was the issue of slavery. When the initial draft of the Constitution was actually made, as you would be aware, there was a clause added in there that slavery would be discontinued in the United States of America because this was essentially an English uh, practice brought over from the mother country and they were rejecting it. However, due to the fact that there was still quite a lot of hostility towards uh, abolish, abolishing sentiments and quite a lot of states relied on slavery, Washington was never able to push through a general consensus on the issue. And the Constitution of 1787 was one of the biggest failures in his life. That's how it's being, it's being viewed today because he was never able to do anything about slavery. Now, of course, Washington was a slave owner. He was from a landed family. And the amazing thing is that, you know, Washington had married a woman who was a widow. So her initial property from the first husband who had died was in the form of land, uh, infrastructural holdings, and slaves. <clears throat> so by the current law, Washington couldn't free those slaves and nor could he form a slave or push, uh, nor could he form his own law, sorry, or push a bill through the Senate, which would have allowed him to uh, liberate those slaves in one stroke of the pen. Now, amazingly enough, this is a man who's respected in the entire nation. But when the majority didn't respect his views on slavery, he never allowed that to get in his way, and he never became dictator, uh, a dictator, did he? No, that I will push the law. Yep. But what he said was that I'll respect the same laws which I expect others to respect in the future. So what he did 
was that on his deathbed, he liberated his own slaves and the rest of the slaves who he couldn't liberate. What he did was he actually provided a pension for them from his estate. It did. And today there are many Sikhs who will listen to this and start pointing finger, fingers that he was a slaveholder. Well, come to think about it, a doctrine, a religious doctrine is revelatory. It's a revelation for its followers. But it also is evolutionary in the fact that it guides the evolution of those very same followers. Now, <clears throat> Washington wasn't entirely Christian. But if you look at the Sikh Sardars, their regression into polygamy, marrying more than one woman, then spotting the creation of texts and uh, facts which alluded to the gurus doing the same, consuming intoxicants, and really becoming obsolete and visionless, sinking into morbidity. <clears throat> I don't think Washington's slavery was a bigger sin than what the Sardars ended up doing in their last, in their final days. Well, the thing is that there's, there's a simple uh, idiom that says power corrupts. As, yep, power corrupts. As soon as poor, powerless people gain power, mm. they actually started living like the Mughals themselves, lavish lifestyles. Yep. And all the vices came in. You are correct. Yep. So, so in, this and, case, in this case, to have mm. a view to establish something that could have lasted for a long time or mm. to have united the whole mission into a single confederation or a republic and then yes. expanded out of Punjab or whatever the plan was at that time. These things are yep. un unimaginable because none of the, those people who were missing Sadar were highly educated mm. well, uh, by the standards of that time. After Nuab Kapoor Singh, because if you look at it, Kapoor Singh also uh, stepped down. Uh, if you look at the ancestral records of many families, see, Kapoor Singh is one of those figures like Banda Singh Bhatt that was made a trader and just pushed away. So now you have those few festivals where people come along and say, you know, Banda Singh Bhatt, they did this, he did a great thing, and then forget about him for 364 year, uh, days of the year. Same story with Kapoor Singh. We have reduced him just to a picture on a wall. Baba tu bas photo And uh, you can see the same practice in Ratan Singh Pangu's uh, Panth Prakash, which is actually accepted by historians as the gospel truth on some uh, facets of, you know, the missile polity. The entire role of that man has been mitigated, but to be honest, people would have accepted, uh, expected him to stay on for the rest of his life. Nuab Kapoor Singh is president of the missiles, but he chose to step down around the mid-1750s. And unfortunately, after that, when Jassa Singhaluwalia ascended to uh, premiership uh, presidential uh, position of the missiles, the rot really started setting in because, you know, Kapoor Singh was foremost an intellectual. He devised structures which would allow the Sikhs to become a republic. Kapoor Singh would not have been uh, familiar with the term republic. He spoke Punjabi, wrote in Gurmukhi, was fluent in other uh, subcontinental languages. But the principles guiding him, as I said earlier, were based on the science of republics. So he had a vision, but as it is, a person who establishes something, like take Washington, for example, he had to entrust that vision 
to a successive generation. And in Kapoor Singh's case, that generation proved to be visionless. Well, that, that's our tragedy. Okay, let's see it from a different viewpoint. Yep. Let's say that Guru Gobind Singh's sons, or at least one of them survived. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, let's say Banda Singh Bahadur accompanied one of them, and they fought, yes. and they established Khalsa Raj, and the Khalsa Raj, the first Khalsa Raj, it lasted for a while, let's say. Yes. What kind of government would they have established? The more you have people from the Guru era, like, I mean, Banda Singh Bahadur, as you said, if one of the side Jada's had survived, I am assuming that it would have slowly evolved into a democratic or a republican society at the most. 100%. Because these individuals, see, the Guru Granth Sahib makes us concomitant with the Guru's philosophies, you know, political philosophy and whatnot. But today, that message has been hidden from us. It can't be altered, can't be changed. So a new way was devised by anti-Sikh forces just to push it away, die fight it. You know, when Gyani Gyan Singh wrote Guru Granth Ji Manyo Pargat Guraki, that's pretty much where the rot really started happening, that people accepted it as a day, started offering it fruit, ramallahs, and whatnot. And ultimately today, how many people do you think out there know what the Guru Granth Sahib says as opposed to trying to show off and thinking they can gain some sort of a spiritual or material benefit by serving it as they would serve an idol. To, uh, to get the answer of this question, just go to Facebook and see any Sikh photo or anything uploaded by any, any person or a page and see the comments. There are <laughs> yep. people just typing Vaiguruji, Vaiguruji, Mirguru, Vaiguruji, Mirguru on Facebook. Yep. <laughs> and sometimes you, you, you look at the profiles of these people and these people who are not these are not poor people who are not, not educated. These people have expensive cars on their profile pictures. They are traveling overseas and stuff. And they are typing comments on Facebook by Guruji Mirguru. <laughs> and I was oh, oh, reading oh, about oh, this. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. That's today in the 21st century. <laughs> I was reading about the 1780s. <laughs> I guess that explains why we failed. <laughs> that explains quite a lot. Well, we, we have to admit it. There's no shame that admitted that we made mistakes and, and a lot of people can't do it. A lot of people simply cannot say sorry because they're full of ego. I recently saw a post on Facebook where a family has spent over, uh, oh, this was estimated in pounds, over 1.6 million pounds in having a galgi crafted out of real diamond and platinum gold to present at Kartarpur Sahib. Yeah, now, that, that, yeah. Yep. Now, does the Guru Granth Sahib wear a kalgi? Well, okay, okay. Let's let's do it the other way. If, yep. <laughs> if they, they had done the same during the time of any Guru, let's say they, they could have presented this kalgi to Guru Gobind Singh. Yes. Guru Sahib would have melted that platinum and put it in front of his arrows. Yep, he would have used it for some more practical purpose. Practical, I mean, yeah. it's just amazing how people seem to be thinking today. Our people who claim to be a leading com. Well, claim and reality are two very different things. 
Yep. And uh, well, uh, sometimes you have to you have to question your own elders, you know, your relatives and stuff. What's the whole point? Why are you doing this? Well, not to the face, mm-hmm. but uh, no. <laughs> well, yep. Okay. If, if if somebody says okay, if if uh, if I if I get my desire, I will uh, I, I will build a new room here in the Gurdwara, or, or I will get uh, I'll put some ACs in there. Yeah. Yep. So I will say, you're not a Sikh. You're just a trader. That I'll do this job for you. Do this job for me. Yep. Create a pro queue. Yeah, of course. And uh, that reminds me that Trump is Corona positive. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so in this case, you were just trading with the uh, the fella sitting upstairs. I guess they do it when someone dies. That's why you have all these pies in the Gurdwara. You know, just uh, slyly gazing at the old people, thinking "Rababas or ek buddhi buddha chakade to mera AC hajve." Yeah, and if you're in rich family, they will just take take good care of you because when they die, when the old man in your family die, or the old woman, the party is going to heavily benefit from it. Yep, and. You know, there were cases a few years back where the Grantis were actually finishing off people themselves. Well, uh, I do not know about that, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if it, it turned out to be true. Yep, and I guess at the end of the day, now when the Sardars walked away from Delhi, the British were laughing. You know, Hastings sent back a long uh, communication to James Brown saying, "Well, look, you praised them to me." But, you know, what essentially he implied was that to me, these people seem like practical idiots. Practical on the grounds that they're proving their idiocracy. They could have gained Delhi and stopped us. See, if you look at it from a historic point of view, when Shivaji headed up the Maratha Confederacy after uh, Aurangzeb refused to accept him as a vessel and allow him to win over Gandhar from the Afghans, what happened was that people who have written books on Shivaji's life they have also written that, you know, his correspondence is still available. It's still in museums. Shivaji actually enunciated one fact. You know, he emphasized that no innovations be introduced against caste or the existing political systems in India. Everything had a certain purpose and he wanted it to remain like that. But then if you look at the Sikhs, they started from scratch. Men like Banda Singh Bhadar and Nawab Kapoor Singh. They started from scratch. They innovated, they altered, revamped. And, you know, they were radicals in one uh, sense of that term. But speaking fundamentally, it's a curse of the Sikhs that the leadership is always betrayed by the successive generation, isn't it? Kapoor Singh, yes. Okay, sorry, go on. Uh, Then I'll uh, give my point. Go on. Yep. Kapoor Singh established such a beautiful system. You know, he had the Nihang acting as a sort of independent uh, jury type of body, but they failed in their role, didn't they? They failed to uh, arrest the rot among the missile sardars. Men like Nana Singh Akali were just uh, so drowned in their own sense of fundamentalism that they became terror to friends and foes alike. And they just started, you know, like we discussed last time, weapons are divine. We have weapons. We are divine. We can do no wrong. And all these issues started proliferating into the punt until the time that it just the entire system which Kapoor Singh had made with his blood, sweat, and tears, it was ultimately destroyed by Sadakor and Ranjit Singh because one, 
They were power hungry, but two, there was no other option. Mm. The issue seems to be getting more complex as we talk. Yep. And, uh, uh, well, uh, I was going to say, there was, uh, okay, is this statement of mine true that uh, the missile Sardars came from a background of zero political experience? Yes and no. I think other than Jasa Sangalwalia and Ramgaria, all the others were, I mean, even if we talk about political experience, they came from a tradition seeped in autocracy, if you look at it. They were surrounded by monarchs and, you know, uh, military despots like Adina Beg Khan. None were able to confirm to Kapoor Singh's uh, model of elected leadership. It, yeah, they didn't. Uh, they were old timers refusing to move on at the time. Yep. Oh. And if you look at one more thing as an example now, you know, in 1678, Guru Gobind Singh Ji wrote a letter of... Uh, a letter of, not recommendation, but just a celebratory letter for a local family of Sahajitaris or non-Sikhs who had actually uh, hosted him and his men for a while. This is 1678, a year after Guru Tegh Bahadur's martyrdom. And in it, two terms are mentioned, Khalsa and Guru Gobind Singh. So what I'm trying to say is that plans for Khalsa begin even before 1698 or 99, as most people accept, when the Khalsa was manifested. Yep. Now, just as a digression from 1678 until 1698, for those 20 years, the Guru would have watched his Sikhs to see who among them confirmed to the basic model, the fundamental model of the Panjabiyare. And he would have watched. And his five main bodyguards or his five main generals or soldiers by Deya Singh, Taram Singh, Himmat Singh, Mokam Singh, and Saib Singh were the ones who he found to be worthy enough. So when that period came, that Besaki, when Guru Nanak Dev Ji's uh, birth celebration was also uh, being held at Anandapur, because it's only now in the past uh, 50, 60 years we have started saying the Guru was born in October. Old records point towards uh, him being born in around April. What happened was that Guru Gobind Singh Ji surely would have taken to the stage and shouted out his challenge, I need the head of a Sikh. Now, Sikh is a plural term. It can refer to either men or women. When no one came, he would have said, Okay, then, Dearam, you're sitting there, come on, then, you come on. And he arose and went into the tent. But if you look at how this, uh, this historical event has been codified, it's been codified to say that women cannot become part of the Panjapiaras, only males can. But if you look at the past history, the events leading up to this particular one event, you can see that there would have been a lot of tests and in no way was this against any Sikh just to see who confirmed to the fundamentals of Sikhi so they could be chosen as the first Panjapiaras <coughs> to form the template to allow the others to follow. In the same way, the missiles accepted an unnecessary codification and sometimes it said they were 11, sometimes it said they were 12, but for argument's sake, they would have had no problem in forming one more missile at Delhi, which they didn't because their tradition only had a few missiles. 
Well, <clears throat> I want to use the word which can be used in a civilized discussion, so I wouldn't say anything about it. But there was yep. a colossal failure. It was a colossal failure. If you look at the 13 uh, colonies, they united to form an embryonic United States and expanded from there. What did we achieve? Nothing. Well, we did achieve a lot of things. We became the Khalsa. We became the owner of the world. We can still conquer Delhi anytime. <laughs> you, you, you know, uh, today with the farmers' protest, you know yep. what kind of statements they give? What? They will say in Punjabi, Delhi takhtariyan jada hala deyange. <laughs> so this attitude of ego, this refusal mm. to accept reality is still continuing. There is something called having a vision and then there is called sheer delusion, isn't there? <laughs> I mean, if you imagine Zakaria Khan alive today and Zakaria Khan says, okay, look, I'm sending Nwabi to the Sikhs. I'm sure today when Shabir Singh brought that uh, offer over, when he brings it over today, he would probably be, you know, just stone, have stones thrown at him, chased away, beaten, and his face blackened. But look at how, how I guess, astute those Sikhs were who actually sat down and discussed the issue and decided to use Zakaria's own trap against him. Well, you, you could say they knew what to do. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, okay. Usually, when uh, uh, well, not usually. I think it's always when a big empire or the or the big power decays or implodes. There's a power vacuum, which is usually filled by the power surrounding that former power. Yeah. Yes. So when the Mughal Empire disintegrated, I would say. Yes. So the power vacuum in Delhi was filled by whom? The British. Mm. We had the opportunity, we just squandered it away. So and if, if you look yes. If, if we had stayed in Delhi, let's say. Yep. And and mind you, I have done some research about this. Yes. There are a lot of people around Delhi. There are a lot of people around district Meerut and Maradabad in, yep. in Uttar Pradesh who are yep. either Sikhs or are of Sikh ancestry who are now practically Hindus. Yes. They came in with the conquerors, with the missiles, and they settled yep. there. Yep. So so I actually do have a person very near to me. He is a man, a man, Jatia. Yes. From very close to Delhi. In their demeanor, they are Hindus because, well, they married local uh, other Hindu Jats and stuff here, yeah, so... But yep. it, they do have uh, their marriages in the Gurdwara because they say we are we are Sikhs of Sikh heritage. Mm -hmm. yep. So, so if, if you could go to an area, conquer the area, and establish yourself, why leave? There's an area in Delhi called Tis Hazari, Tis Hazari, thirty thousand. Yep, all the yeah the legal the legal district, isn't it? Yeah, there's a court over there and everything, yeah. So these are <clears throat> these uh, 30,000 Khalsa forces staying there to build Gurdwara uh, around Delhi. Mm. Yep. <clears throat> 30,000 strong army, experienced army, just going to the biggest city in your country 
the, the seat of the power, conquering it, and then just leaving it aside. I say, I don't, I don't want it. <laughs> that can only be explained in very hard terms, which our Sikhs today would actually explode upon hearing. I guess when you look at it, uh, you know, not many researchers after Hariram Gupta ever researched the missiles and Gupta only presented them in that nationalistic light. So he embellished many facts. But we have a few historians who dedicate their lives towards cataloging uh, missile archives. And even today in the Akaltak library and its records, we have a lot of Persian correspondence, Farsi correspondence, Gurbuki correspondence, Braj correspondence saved over from the missile era, which no one has bothered translating. Those documents can indicate why the missile system failed. But Sarjeet Singh Gandhi and uh, Sangat Singh and even Sardar Kapoor Singh to a degree, they studied all the evidence which they had available at the time and they just concluded one thing. The Sardars had everything. They had the military, the logistics, everything necessary to pretty much step into Delhi and just conquer it. We need to remember that even though they, uh, they were, well, defeated on paper by the Marathas, they annihilated the Maratha cavalry, so it was never the same again. Even now, the myth that is being uh, spread that the Marathas liberated their Barsaib, they never liberated anything. They just followed the Sikhs one day late. So when they came to the Darbar side, the Sikhs already had it in their control. The Afghans ran away and they presented a monetary offering there just to make the Sikhs happy after having a fight with them at Sirhand after who, over who was getting the lion's share of the booty from Medina Beg Khan. But despite having everything, despite having all the crown lands, all the hinterlands under their control, the Sardars failed in this one respect. They never gauged Delhi's symbolic potential or that they could transform the Punjab into a much bigger singular state. I mean, how shameful is it that Washington spends the rest of his life arguing for a singularized standing army, uh, a singular military academy, and all the sort of uh, elements and facets which go with the United Nations state but down here, the missiles were never able to form that one standing army for future use. Well, then that that proves that the the Western perspective or the Western lens is superior, doesn't it? Yep, and I guess it's not even about Western lenses; it's just common sense and vision. Well, common sense and vision, and, and using common sense and practicality is how you progress forward in the, into the future. Mm-hmm. But uh, in in our in our, in our case, it's just just today's. Hmm. And if you look at Anga seventeen eighty three of Gurbani, now many people say that this is Guru's Pana that the Sardars failed. Well, fuck. Kabir addresses the entire issue. Kabir sacha satgur kya kare jo sakhame chuk ande ekna lagai jo bans bajave phuk that the true Guru can't do much if the Sikhs are at fault, mentally blind, they do not take in the Guru's Gyan, they just attempt to blow uh, into a I'm bamboo. I'm sorry, I think I, I connected, I've missed what you said. <laughs> okay, I'll requote the Shabbat again. <clears throat> and I guess the readers can, uh, the listeners can listen to it again one more time. People claim that this was Satguru's Pana, that the Sardars failed. 
Okay. <laughs> but if you look at Gurbani, Ang 1783, Kabir Sacha Satgur Kya Kare, Jo Sikha Me Chook, Ande Ek Na Lage, Jo Bans Bajave Fook, Kabir, what good can the true Guru do if the Sikhs are at fault? Mentally blind, they do not take in the Guru's Gyan. What use is it for them to blow into bamboo? That they try achieving the impossible, they try producing music from, you know, non-hollow bamboo tubes, which means they try achieving what is impossible as per Hukam. And for the Sardars, they were on the line to achieving nothing anyhow. And, uh, okay. Tell me what you think about this. Overall, I believe that we can't keep on saying that this is a glorious no, part of our history. Because it might have started off as a glorious aspect, but it basically failed. And I mean, if you look at it, the irony here is that uh, the Greeks formed the Amphictyonic League, which was a semi-republic of their states to fight the Persians. And exactly, exactly like Maharaja Ranjit Singh dismantled the Dal Khalsa, that's how Philip II of Macedonia, Alexander the Great's father, dismantled that league. He destroyed the nascent Greek Republic, just like Maharaja Ranjit Singh destroyed the Sikh Republic. And I guess the double irony here is that both were blind in one eye. <laughs> Come on, mate, please. <laughs> so I guess another now. Another practice which we see in Gurdwaras today is that, you know, the most biting Shabad, Shabads from Gurbani are never discussed. Because those Shabads are relevant even today. Well, they always will be. And there is one quite a long Shabad of Guru Nanak Devji, which, uh, Guru Nanak, which I'll quote. Dear Falcons and Administrators, they are universally acclaimed for their powers. When their masters set their traps, they run to and bring their own kind as prey. For all their services, they never bestowed lasting rewards to keep them. Uh, so by lasting rewards, what it means, uh, what Guru Nanak Dev Ji means is that they're never, never given a permanent reward. It's always a bait to keep them continually enslaved. But enlightened leaders are they who pursue wisdom in all its forms. They rent them, they uh, root themselves like trees and shade their subjects like leaves blocking the flaming sun. Now, true leadership is being, you know, having vision and rooting yourself like a tree doesn't mean you root yourself on the field of battle. It can be any other field as well. In this day and age, the kings are tigers and their loyalists are dogs. They prowl out every day and inflict atrocities upon the mentally enslaved masses. With claw-like hands, they tear apart their victims from limb to limb. The blood which spills out. They lick like slobbering dogs, but where they live, there they will be called to account. Having violated their subjects' trust, they will be humiliated and their alleged honor obliterated. And this is Anga 1288 of Gurbani. <clears throat> well, uh, what can I say? This is, well, this is what happened. That's 100% true. Yep. And see, look at the Shabbat of Guru Nanak Dev Ji. Wise leaders, true leaders root themselves like trees and shade their subjects like leaves blocking the flaming sun. 
we never saw that with the Sardars. They never thought about the future. And then when you come down to the other one, the blood would spell out. They look like slobbering dogs. And then you move on to, but where they live, there they will be called to account. It means that they will be called to account in the very world in which they acted and performed their acts. Okay, I have a question for you. Yep. Let's just say that I am a, a missile sardar. I, I have yep. my territory. <laughs> I am the ruler. Mm -hmm. And then I, I must have yes. my family members around me or my advisors or my trusted lieutenants or lieutenants. Yep. Why would I choose to give up my absolute power to form a republic? And this is where it really shows that if there is, this is what the Sardars truly were, weren't they? Why should we give up our powers for a Unitarian Republic? Well, that really comes down to the fact that, as Gurbani says, true leaders are those who die in the Shabbat, and, and who don't fight for their and own that's aggrandizement. Exactly why I give you the example of Washington giving up power. You, you see, you, you mm. have. You have to, yep, you have to compare. If I'm a missile Sardar and you are mm. my neighboring missile Sardar, I would never ever trust you. Yep. You are my enemy. You want to expand into my territory. I have to assume these things about you every mm. single time mm. your name is mentioned. That, mm. that okay, he, wa he wants to take what I have. He wants to take my state. He want to expand into my territories. He, I have some fertile lands that he mm. wants, or you may have some water resources. You may have, you may have some town in your in, in your control that I want for trade or whatever. So mm. this 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 general distrust yep. might be the reason that uh, there was no unity. And if if uh, if if Gil Singh and the uh, Singh go to Delhi to conquer it, what? level of trust that they have yeah. that they had for each other do we know about it well an example is that when just a single warrior was installed on the delhi throne and it was uh, said that he was emperor of the sikhs pantpatra just as withdrew his sword and challenged the just a single warrior to a duel that hell could he rule over the entire Panth. And uh, Charat Singh shot back an accusation, Charat Singh uh, Sukarchakia, Ranjit Singh's uh, <coughs> grandfather, that uh, what could Jassa Singh Ram Gurya uh, say? Because Ram Gurya himself was prancing about like a monarch before they expelled him from the Punjab. Well, yeah. So we have brought up many points. And the, the, this point, the last one we have brought up, <laughs> is of the utmost importance to discuss further. The level of trust between Sikh generals of that mm. time was very low. Selfishness had crept mm. in. <clears throat> All the missile mm. sardars and the leaders of that time were working for their own personal benefits. And then somebody more powerful came, Ranjit Singh, and finished them all off. Yep. And... One thing which I'll add before uh, wrapping up, because now it's nearly time uh, before Anchor actually starts cutting us off for the hour. 
Gormok Singh Arif, I think that's how you say the god Arif or Arfi, he's actually written quite a magnificent book called Rangrete Yad Aityas. Rangrete are, even though Sikhi doesn't believe in caste, yes, Sikhs practice caste. And Rangrete are they who once formed the frontline soldiers of the Khalsa missiles, but who have been written out of her history. One Rangreta commander, which uh, Gurmukh Singh actually refers to as Beer Singh Rangreta. Now, Beer Singh Rangreta is one of those figures in Sikh history who has had a monumental effect on the Panth, but no one knows where he was born or where he died. There might be a Nihang Dal in his name, but there is nothing in it which indicates that they might truly be descended from Beer Singh Rangreta. And Gurmukh Singh actually shows how Beer Singh Rangreta challenged Jasa Singhaluwalia, saying that, you know, today the missiles are becoming autocratic, they're becoming despots, they will meet with an ignoble end. We must fight against these uh, personal failings of ours. And Aluwalia and Charat Singh and all the others who felt threatened by this uh, commander, Beer Singh Rangreta, they invited him into the Darbar Sahib, where Gurmukh Singh uh, says that they were disarmed and then slain, including Beersing himself. Well, if you are a danger to my power, these things will happen. And uh, I'd like to bring up a point by uh, Machiavelli, uh, if, you, if you heard about it. That even the, the most loyal people, yes. even they have to go. Because at the mm. end of the day, they know too much about you. Anyone in Sikhi who has followed Guru Gobind Singh Ji's, oh, Guru, let's just say Guru Granth Sahib's, Sadhguru's vision, they have been betrayed, vilified, and pretty much attempts have been made to destroy their legacy. We see it with Banda Singh Bhadar, we see it with Nwab Kapoor Singh, we see it with Professor Gurmukh Singh, Baba Dial Singh Narankari. Anyone who tried to follow or implement what the Gurus wanted, they were always beset by treachery from their own quarters. Well, unfortunately, that's what's happened. And uh, a vast majority of Sikhs will never accept this. Because if, if we talk about, if, if we talk and, about nothing, that's a separate topic. The results of that, of that talk yep. will be largely unacceptable to the Sikh nation today. As yep. to who betrayed him, why they betrayed him, and the names that would come up. Totally unacceptable to a majority Not of majority, people. vast majority. Even those who would agree. Mm. And this is... They would have to stay silent for the fear of, fear of retaliation. Yep. And this is where we need to remember that, you know, we can say whatever we want to say about America's founding fathers, you know, because we say Maya Tarisi, they wouldn't be in uh, in such kind of, they were like this, they were like that. Whatever their personal failings, they left a very strong legacy, which even today fuels the world, doesn't it? America, land of the free house, anonymous is that. And whatever the personal failings of later generations, credit has to be given where credit is due. And if you look at Washington, his Farville address, Farville address was actually appended to their Bibles by many Americans. Oh, it was, it was actually, yeah. 
And even though some points are not valid anymore, the overall theme of the document that I give you that I give you the name American is still valid, isn't it? That this is America. Okay, fine, then culture has been updated to a form of national values, but this is what we live by. This is how we live. Imagine a Sikh missile Sardar, a Sikh Jatada rising to that occasion and saying to the entire subcontinent, I give you the name, whatever they would have come up with, I don't know, USA, uh, USM, United Sikh Missilettes, or, you know, like uh, United States of Punjab, United States of India, who knows what could have happened. But that is in the realm of whataboutism. Yep. That is in the realm of whataboutism. And today we can only take painful lessons from the past. Okay. My last statement, and that's very important. Was it James Madison or John Adams yep. who replied to a woman when asked, what have you given us? He said, a republic, if you can keep it. We failed to keep our I think that must have We failed it. to keep our republic. This little statement, mm. a republic, if you can keep it, is very, very important. We have given you a republic, if yep. you can keep it. We had a Republican form of political structure, but we couldn't keep it. Yep. Preserve it if you must, keep it if you can, ensure its continuity if you will. Well, the discussion was very productive. I, mm. I personally uh, learned yep. a lot. A few things I didn't knew. Yep. <laughs> And uh, hopefully the listeners will have learned a few things too. Who knows what the future holds, but if we have achieved anything here, it is just to remind people that history isn't obsolete. Even now read it. Do not defy, do not glorify and make the past sacred because when the mistakes of the past are brought out in front of you, when they catch up with you, then there is no room to hide yourself. They do, they do. And uh, that's why I find history so fascinating. They do. Well, thank you for joining us today. Until next time, Wahiguruji ka khalsa, Wahiguruji ki.